0: Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Uh, man, what an honor and privilege it is to teach God's Word, right? Right. Uh, I mean anytime I get the opportunity to teach But especially when I get the opportunity To teach at home And uh, I don't know in the last days the Bible said Part of the godlessness is that people would gather To themselves what their itching ears Want to hear and I'm so grateful to be a part not just because I'm in leadership, but to be a part of a church that holds to the primacy of God's word. His preached word, his spoken word, his son word, his declared word. How many of you have been saved because of what the word of God says? Come on. Feel <laughs> with the Spirit because of what the Word of God says. Reconcile to a brother because of what the Word of God says. This indeed is God's holy word. So these moments that we have is God's microphone, it's God's stage, it's God's spotlight, so that God can speak to our lives. And if you're ready to hear God's word this morning, give me a good hearty amen. 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 Well, listen. If you didn't receive a message card when you came in, you can raise your hand. And uh, I think they have there a few in the back. Uh, as we jump into our teaching today, you can also go into U uh, version on your app there, uh, your smartphone or tablet or mini iPad, whatever the case is. And if you'll just click U version, you can click events, and right there will be Doyle Place Church, and you can follow along there as as well. But. Uh, It's been a a, a little bit crazy week for me. I've been battling uh, infection, sickness this week. And uh, it seemed like the infection got a lot worse. So I feel like I've been run over by a truck. But uh, isn't it amazing how um, weak faith grasps the same strong God that strong faith does? same God. Whether it's weak or strong faith, we have a strong God. We're tethered to a strong rock. We have an anchor, the Bible said. He said in Hebrews. That's why the cross... It was not even a Christianity symbol until almost 350 AD. You know what the first symbol of Christianity was? It was an anchor. We have an anchor that goes behind the veil. We have an anchor that no matter the wind, the waves that move us or try to chart our course, we have an anchor. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen? He's going behind the veil. And uh, I know that His power uh, you, is, is just going to be made manifest. It's readily available. If you'll pray for me today, uh, I love what God is going to speak to us today, but I certainly need His help. Uh, to continue to deliver. Would you pray with me, Father, in these moments that we have? I pray that you would arrest our attention. I pray our mind's attention, our heart's affection, would be set upon you, Jesus, even now. And Lord, we recognize in these moments that if your spirit doesn't come, it's just an exercise of mental fortitude. It's just a mental exercise. But God, with your presence, with your Holy Spirit, dancing upon the hearts of your people, I pray as your word is declared, as your word is taught, that it brings about transformation, that we receive a washing with the water of your word, that God, those areas of our life that need your strength, that God, you would enable us by your Spirit today to be strong, God. Lord, in your grace, that as we are broken, as Pastor Chad says, that God, your grace would be attracted to that humility. And finally, we would find ourselves built up today, edified and strengthened. We give you praise, honor, and glory for this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. We're in the third week of a series here in the book of Revelation, which is. Personally, bless me. I know it's been an amazing uh, opportunity to study through this wonderful book. And you can imagine our our uh, issue when for four weeks we're trying to cover 22 chapters. And so in the first week we went chapters 1 through 3 and we talked about the priority of seeking Jesus Christ. Last week Pastor Chad did a marvelous job of talking about uh, in the midst of it, chapters 4 through 9 of the book. And uh, we're looking at Revelation as a template. Not as a calendar, but a template. And the template is... It could be the principles we find in the book would be overlaid on any season of suffering and we would find very clearly how God has called us to thrive. So today, we're going to tend to go really through chapters 10 through 16 and uh, we'll end the series next week with 17 through 22. But may I ask you a question? Would you be interested if I could give you the name of a stock that was going to double in the next three months? Yeah. There you go. (laughs) It was going to be a merger that wasn't public yet, which makes this very illegal. This would be called insider trading. And uh, and and would you be interested in that? I think the answer, obviously, like Ryan said, would be yes. Even if you don't want to do something illegal, you would be like, yeah, if I could get a little bit of the information. And what's, we love, let's just base it, insider trading. And we don't just love it in business or Wall Street. We love it in every area of our life. Let me give you an example. When you go out on a date, before you go out on a date, you go and you stalk somebody on social media. You stalk them, man. I mean, you find out everything there is to find about them. You, you want to see every picture they post in the last six months. You want And if they don't have a social media account, then what you do is you go to some of their friends, right? And you say to their friends, hey, uh, by the way, do they ever talk about me? Do they ever say anything good? or you know, Just tell I mean, I know it must not be good. But, you know. and, so, and so we love this, right? We, we, we just want to know why. Because information is power. And power helps us secure our future. At least we think. I mean, I do this with my kids, right? I could go to a DP Kids Leader. I could go to a man, miss Man. I could go to one of those and, and maybe Miss Melissa who's teaching Marley, and say, hey, just, just be honest. How my kids doing, right? Because I want to know. We love to know the information. Information is power, power helps us secure our future, right? This is one of the reasons why I love the book of Revelation. It is insider trading because it tells you exactly what's happening behind the scenes. It tells you not only what's happening behind the scenes globally, but what's happening even behind the scenes in your own life, even in your own season of suffering. It does. I think that's why the book begins in Revelation 1 and 3, which we've looked at many times, where he gives this great promise. He said, anyone, everybody say anyone, who reads, the words of this prophecy will indeed be blessed. It's the only money-back guarantee book in the entire Bible out of 66 books. If you read this, you're indeed blessed. Why? Not because of some religious hocus-pocus. Not because of some metaphysical blessing that God adds to the reading of the Word. It's because you get information. And information is power. And power helps you secure your future. Friends, that is never more true than in the central part of the book that you and I are studying. When you look at the central part of the book of Revelation, and I'm warning you, we're about to see some weird images. Very unusual images. What we would say are very odd images. And some of you say, well, does John write like that on purpose? He does. It's not accidents. accident. If you've not been a part of the series, it would just give you the reason why he does this. He was living at the time of 95 AD on the island of Patmos, and the Roman emperor was a man by the name of Domitian. Domitian hated Christians. Domitian killed Christians. And so being exiled to the island of Patmos, John begins to use a code. You saw the video breaking the code. The code was the Old Testament. He begins to pull images from the Old Testament that would make sense in the Jewish mind, but not the Roman mind. The Roman soldier could pick up the book and say, this is nonsense, but the Jew could pick it up and say, I know exactly what the harlot is. I know exactly what that dragon is. I know exactly what that beast is because every image is found in the Old Testament. So this is why this is why John writes in this way. Now, what we want to do today is we want to look at three specific images that are kind of bizarre. Here's the three images. One dragon, two beasts, and the number 666. One dragon, two beasts, and the number 666. I'm going to start reading in chapter 12, verse 7. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to follow along. It's impossible for me to put all the Scripture today on the card. And uh, it's doubly difficult, I think, sometimes to... Follow along in your mind with what's being preached when you don't see it in front of you. So, if you have a Bible, Revelation chapter 12, we're going to begin to read verse 7. But before we get to verse 7, I've got to give you a background in verses 1 through 6. Verse 7, of course, wouldn't make sense without 1 through 6. But instead of reading it, let me recap it for you. Chapter 12 opens with a very interesting scene. Very interesting. There's a woman that's standing on the moon. That's already weird. She's robed in the sun, whatever that means. And she's got 12 stars around her head. And I think pretty clearly that those 12 stars indicates that this image is the image of ancient Israel. 12 tribes of Israel. And the, the Bible says very clearly that she's pregnant. But I'm not talking about just pregnant. She's about to pop pregnant. Beyond our due date pregnant. And uh, as she's there pregnant, there's a baby that's going to come forth. And you see this in verse 5. She gave birth to a son and a male child who will rule all the nations with an This baby, of course, is none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He comes. He comes onto the scene through ancient Israel. And because of that, an enormous red dragon rushes on the scene. The dragon's mouth is open. And the dragon charges the woman to try to de- devour the infant the moment it's born. Sound like Luke chapter 1? Sound like Matthew chapter 1? The King Herod and the decree to kill all children, right? Sounds very clearly. John is painting this picture. Now, Because the dragon attacks the woman, because the dragon goes at the woman, a brawl breaks out in heaven. And that's where we begin in verse 7. Then war broke out in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they, that's the dragon and the angels, lost their place in heaven. And the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And everybody said, not amen. Not amen, right? Because he used to be a safe distance from us, but now he's here on the earth with us. Now he has the ability to free roam. Like a lion devouring. Seeking whom he may devour. He has authority. He has power that's been exercised and given to him. I know I pulled you into that. I pulled the first gathering into it too. It's okay. He he has the ability now to roam free. So it's not amen. It's look out. Satan is thrown to the earth. Now listen. If you were to take an artist's rendition of the dragon. It would look kind of like a sci-fi image if we're honest. It's a cool image to look at. But this would be the dragon of Revelation 12 fighting the Archangel Michael. Now, some of us, we look at that image and we think, Oh man, that's that's a cool image. But Pastor Craig, are you serious? Is that really real? Yes, it is real. Don't be deceived by these portraits of the devil. You say, what? Well, who is this dragon? Well, verse 9 very clearly tells us that the dragon in heaven is a symbol of the devil. The dragon in heaven is fighting Michael, the archangel is indeed a symbol of the devil. And there's so many cartoons of the devil in our world, right? We see a We see a world, uh, a devil that has a red jumper with a pitchfork. And we we see kids uh, ring our doorbell on October 31st, and they got this cute little red outfit and a little pitchfork. And so sometimes in our culture, what we begin to think is, oh, well, that's just a literary fiction. No, he's not a literary fiction. The devil's very real. Not only is he very real, he's very organized, and he's very, uh, very shrewd, and he's very wise, and he's gone global with his tactics. He has gone global with his attack upon the church. You don't believe me? Just listen to this next list of names. And when you hear every name, I want you to answer the question to yourself. Is the evil that this person did something that came from inside them? Or something that came from behind them prompted by the devil? You might think of names like this. You might think of names like uh, Idi Amin. Great dictator. Gone, see, happen, destroyed. We see all the literally multiplied thousands of people that have been destroyed in the last 20 years Adolf Hitler, <clears throat> Joseph Stalin, 9 11, Columbine, Timothy McVeigh, Jody Aries, Jeffrey Dahmer. <clears throat> Ted Bundy, Jim Jones. David Koresh, Dallas, Texas, and on and on. I can keep going with the list, but I think the point's really clear. What is it? We see evil everywhere. And the evil we see, it's very apparent, has a power that's behind it. There's a power behind the human events that go on that are so horrifying on our evening news. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. The devil has already been defeated. He's thrown down out of heaven. And we typically picture that as something that happened eons before the start of the world. But according to verse 10, it didn't happen before the world was created. According to verse 10, we're about to read it. It happened when Jesus was crucified. Look at verse 10. This is how the Bible reads. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God. And the authority, notice that, of His Messiah, of the Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. Notice that the devil has been defeated by two things. You ready? The blood of Jesus and the preaching of Christians. Those two weapons that have destroyed Satan It's the blood of Jesus and it's the preaching of living epistles. Did you know this? Yeah, the devil's powerful. Yeah, he's true. But all his weapons have been stripped from him. Did you know that? All of his weapons. I call this the law of unintended consequence. When Lucifer, who was the light bearer in heaven, decided that he would roll the dice, he decided to take a gamble, that independence from God was better than dependence. He set in motion consequences that were far beyond his control. It was a foolish decision from the outset. He was limited in what he he could achieve. He didn't have omnipotence like God. He couldn't create out of nothing. In Latin, we call that ex nihilo. God spoke and created nothing. Satan can't do this. He knew God was stronger. So why does the Bible tell us that Satan said to himself, I will be like the Most High? Well, he wanted to be like the Most High in this respect. He would have independence from God. But he didn't realize that when he took on God, not wanting to be God's servant, he would be defeated and still God's servant and still under God's control. He didn't know that. How strong is Satan? You ever wondered that before? I get that question a lot. How strong is Satan? Today you'll get a clear answer. He is as strong and as powerful as God allows him to be and not one whit more. That's how strong he is. He rebelled not to be God's servant, but he still is God's servant. He's still subject to the will and the purposes of Almighty God. He he wasn't able in his ability to foresee what would happen. He didn't realize that when he fell, he would only take one-third of the angels and two-thirds of the angels would continue in heaven giving praise to God. Why? Because they were preserved by divine decree. He didn't know that. He couldn't free- foresee the existence of hell and his eternal punishment. He's limited in damage control. I can't prove from scripture, but I believe after he sinned, he probably began to see the uncleanness in his soul, but it was too late. Did you know Satan can't be redeemed even if he were to repent and turn from sin? He won't repent because he's too evil, but no sacrifice was made for his sin. Scripture is very clear with that. There was no sacrifice made for the sin uh, of Lucifer. He is a hapless player on a trajectory to a final eternal punishment, and there's nothing. He can do about it. He knows His time is short. In heaven, He was the appointed cherub. He was involved in worship. He took the praise of the other angels and made sure it got to God. He was the choir master of heaven. And now He will never sing again. All He can do is how. The song of the redeemed is lost from His lips. He'll never be able to do what you and I just did over these last 30 minutes. God had so many different ways. He could have responded after Satan's sin. He could have crushed Him with raw power. God could have annihilated Him. Him. He could confine him to a distant plan. But God looked at him and said, I'm going to I'm going to let you be ruler of this world. Now that you have man on your side. Now that Adam and Eve have sinned and called to your side. I'm going to meet you on the even playing field. And this earth will be the place of combat. This earth will be the place where good and evil. And since that moment we've had good and evil. We have good fighting against evil. We see evil all around us. And we know that God has put intrinsically good and flawed in the image of God in our lives. He said it's going to be played out right here on this planet. And so he, he's confined. He's struck down. But did you know that Satan is stripped of his weapons? He's really only had three weapons. He really has. The first weapon is accusation. Everybody say accusation. It's a tough one. He'll go to the Father, and he'll point at you. And he'll say, Your Honor, see what she did? And the punishment you declared would send her to hell? Why is she not in hell? But here's the good news. If you were baptized into Jesus Christ, if you're washed by His blood, accusation has no more power over your life. Why? Here's your card. His accusation is destroyed through the cross of Jesus. The cross of Jesus destroys the accusation. Of Satan. And now when he accuses you, the Father says, Oh, yeah, I know about that. You're talking about that? Yeah, I know about that. But see, it's been paid for by this. And he points to his son Jesus Christ. He comes before the Father. Did you know Satan still have access to the Father? He does. You see this in joke, right? And so why does he go to the Father? He goes to the Father for one reason to accuse you. He goes to the Father to accuse you. Look, look what Ryan did, look what Craig did. And God says, Oh, yeah, I saw him do that. All oh, just past, present, future sins, but but I saw him do that, but but that's been paid for for by this. And he points to the Son, Jesus Christ, who secured our freedom through His death, burial, and resurrection. This is how accusation is dealt with. And then I wish every Christian here would understand I wish you would understand that accusation is gone. It's destroyed. Listen to me church. Our goal must be to lead people to become new creatures in Christ not to just manage their sin for seven more days. That is not who we're called to be. We're not called to lead people to sin management till the next Sunday. We're called to lead people to the new creation in Jesus Christ. Not an old creation mixed with a new creation. We're not spiritual schizophrenics. We are brand new creations. Behold all things have passed away and every Everything has become new. Jesus, mom mom said, He's making all things new. She understands Jesus and His inauguration causes us to be new. His accusation is destroyed through the cross of Jesus Christ. But so many people I meet. They're still beating themselves up because Satan's accusing us. And he'll get right in your face and he'll say, you know you're a liar. You know you're an adulterer. You know you're a thief. You know you're a prideful. You know he's right. But that's what you used to be. That's not what you are now. And because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you are cleansed from that. And now you are a saint that sometimes sins, and not a sinner who's trapped by the accusation of the devil. You are a saint that sometimes sins, not a sinner that's underneath the accusation of the enemy. That's the first weapon that he yields, wields. Accusation. Not only accusation, the second one, deception. Deception. And I deal with this one a lot. I dealt with a conversation on the phone this week from somebody in my own family member. You've got to be careful here. Because Satan is not a bald liar. He's too smart for that. Satan, If Satan came to you and lied to you outrightly, you wouldn't believe it. He's the master of half-truths. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Satan is. He's the master of half-truths. That's what he did. He shows up in the Garden of Eden, right? Genesis 3. And notice how he comes in disguise. He's a serpent. Before the fall, a serpent was a nice animal. There's no reason to fear. You've got to understand this. It's the way the devil works. So if the serpent comes up, and you were to march down the aisle and say, hey, I'm the devil. Spend eternity with me. You wouldn't do that. But he doesn't do that, right? He sends a servant of his behind the pulpit. And the servant gets up and says, ah, uh, there's many different ways to God. Just believe in the cosmic Jesus. Mm-hmm. What you don't understand is he's actually, or she's actually in power of self, of half-truth. There's no coming judgment. Oh, there's nothing to fear. He lies about who God is. And in verse two, he said, "Have God said? Come on. He just don't want you to be like him." Pause, folks. Eve was made in the image of who? She was already like God. And he comes in trying to deceive and say, "Oh, he just don't want. He just knows you'll be like him." See, folks, that's how deception works, right? And he puts a question mark where God put a period. You don't ever need to do that. In fact, the first question mark in Scripture comes from the mouth of the enemy, right? Doubt. Has God really said? Has has God really said this? And then what happens is this God's restricting you. Why does He keep you from that tree? What kind of God is that? Exercise your freedom and really show you're free. He gives the idea of the benefits of rebellion are wonderful, but they're not. The Bible says she ate, and then her husband ate, and they gained knowledge of the good and the evil. Notice, folks. They not only have intellectual knowledge of what's right and wrong, they've also experimented. And evil has defiled their souls. Now he has the entire human race on his side. All children will be born with the taint of the rebellion. I don't know about you, I didn't have to teach my kids how to lie. I didn't have to teach them how to do temper tantrums. They came out of the womb already with a sin disease, passed down from Adam like a blood disease. They were born into sin. They were born sinners. And this is what happened. So what does he do today? What does he do to believers or unbelievers? He's so angry at God, folks. He's so angry at the idea of God. He hates that we've been redeemed. So he wants to get us. So he can get back at God. Because he can't get at Jesus because he's already been stopped. He can get at Jesus by getting at one of Jesus' sons. Getting at one of Jesus' daughters. It's amazing when you think about it, the amount of power and the authority that God has given him. But yet still, moment by moment, he is subject to God. He can't wiggle unless God says so. He comes and gives us temptations. He has the ability, folks, to put ideas in our minds that we think are our own so we're not afraid of them. You say, Craig, where is that in scripture? If you remember in the book of Acts, when the great couple, Ananias and Sapphira, get back from their honeymoon, and they're eating Wheaties in the sunroom, they're there at the breakfast table, they're eating a bowl of cereal, and all of a sudden they say, man, look at this revival going on down the road. Here's what we need to do. And they think, oh, I've got an idea. Let's go sell our goods and only give half. Well, when Peter comes into the room, he says these words, folks. He says, uh, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit?" What do you mean Satan filled your heart? If Satan had showed up at the breakfast table, they would have been terrified. He didn't show up. All he does is put an idea in their minds that they think is their idea. And this is the same way he works today. He has to be able to plant in words. Plant in ideas. That's why he said you must guard the soil of your mind. You must be sober-minded, vigilant. Why? Because the enemy is trying to plant ideas that you think are your ideas so it's not so fearful. Ananias and Sapphira then, of course, dropped dead. Because they lied to the Holy Spirit. That's the temptation. He comes to put ideas in our minds we think are our own. The next stage is obsession. He wants you. I remember as a teenager, man, he wants control. And obsession means now you're hooked. You have an addiction. That anger that's so deep inside of you right now, you can't commit yourself to spiritual leadership because you've been done so wrong in the past. And you hold on to that. You hold on to whatever's taking place. You can't become involved. You're distracted from God's purpose in your life. He may even come to you as a spirit guide. And this happens in our world. Never forget in 2006 when I went to Shreveport, Louisiana. I went there to intern for a summer. And I showed up on the scene of a, of a disaster that had just taken place in the community. Right there in Bossier City, Louisiana. There was a young boy, African American boy, who had gone to the VBS. Uh, this took place at the church that I was at, Oasis Community Church in. And um, this happened a couple of months before I had gotten there. And when I got there, they uh, they told me the story of what just happened in young Brandy's life. It's only like a nine year old kid, and uh, he lived in a. had an older brother and an older. Uh, I mean, a, a, a single parent home. His mother was doing all that she could to make ends meet, and he lived right down the street from the church. And then one day, he was playing basketball, and the ball rolled across the road, hit the goal, and rolled across the road, and went into the. To the front yard of a of a witch. There's a couple group of witches that have moved into a house, painted the whole house black. And of course, this is huge in Louisiana. Tons of witchcraft. And and the witch comes out of the front door and he grabs the ball. And the witch says, uh, "Don't you ever let that ball come in this this yard again." In fact, she looked at him. and She said, "You will never live to see your ball come into my yard again." He never thought much about it. Went home. A couple of weeks passed. He would wake up in the morning, go outside, and they would have rocks outside of his window. Somebody had stacked rocks in the middle of the night. He didn't know there was omens. He didn't know what these witches were doing. And as a, non, a person who did not know Jesus Christ, a believer, sealed by God, one day he got in a fight with his mom. His mom was unable to get him the belt he wanted. He went to a temper tantrum. He went into his room and shut the door. And mom said, I'll go in there tomorrow and check on him. The next morning when she walked in, she found him there hanging from his bench press with a belt, his old belt, wrapped around his neck. And he had killed himself. When they come to the church and say what's taking place, yeah, of course this stuff happens, folks. This happens globally. Satan's so not out for like a, like a, it's not like a playground we're living on here. It's a battleground. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy people. That's what he wants. He wants to destroy people. He wants to destroy anything that's good and godly. And so Satan can come to people as a spirit guide and many, many strategies to deceive us. There, there's another, right? It's called invasion, what we call demon possession, Right? People possessed by the devil. Mark chapter 5, Jesus gets there on the the seashore of Gomeria, And the Bible says when he lands there at the region of the Gerasenes, there's a demonized man that meets him. And he's cut himself. He's trying to kill himself in the tombs. Why? Because Satan loves the idea of death. He likes to be in foul places. That's where he lives. And and, and, and the, the legion says, we know you are the son of God. Did you know that demons have to admit to the truth? They have to admit to who Jesus is. So this is all different ways. You say, what does Satan want to do? There's all kinds of characteristics. He wants to produce in your heart. He wants to produce self-hatred. He says, you're so awful, you should cut yourself. You should commit suicide. You're so terrible. You call yourself a Christian. You believe God can accept you after that. You're a hypocrite. And he's trying to make a wedge between you and God. He wants us to have a victim mentality. He wants us to say, you know what? You've got relational problems and they'll keep on going. No one can ever get along with us. No one ever get along with you. If they have friends, they push them away. in absurd behavior. They think it's someone else is No, now think about the doorway Satan uses to get a door hold in our lives. If we're believers in this room, Satan can never impede us. So imagine just for a minute, if I'm here at the end of the street and Jesus in heaven are at the end of the other street and you're a Christian, you have to walk from here To there to get to Jesus. And and there's houses on both sides. And what Satan can't do is get in the middle of the road and block you. You're a child of God still by his spirit. But what he does is he starts shouting from every house. And there's houses down the side of the street. And he starts shouting to the guy to distract you. Hey, here's alcohol over here. Hey, why don't you come over here and smoke some weed? Get involved in some drugs. Hey, why don't you over here at the adulterous bed? Come on over here. Look at pornography for a few hours. It'll help you. make you feel better. Come over here. Get in another dysfunctional relationship. God knows you have needs. Hey, don't read the Bible. Who needs the Bible? The Bible won't give you any more strength. And what happens is we turn our head to the left or the right. He can't ever get in front of us, but we get distracted. There's voices calling. There's ideas filling our minds. There's distractions that we can reject. But He wants us to be obsessed with them. He wants us to constantly hear voices, to get hooked on this. We're constantly bombarded by expectations and temptations. And so what does God do about this? God destroys deception. You say, what do you mean? yeah. Satan says, you want life? Here's life in a bottle. You want life? Here's life in a bed. You want life? Here's life in a business. And you'll enjoy yourself for a while, but then you'll have to pay the price. And you will. Sin is pleasurable for a season. you have to pay the price. And notice, look at verse 11. It's right there in your card. How is the, the weapon of deception is stripped from the devil by the word of their testimony?" It is the Word of God, folks. And I don't care if it's printed in the Bible, if it's spoken from a pulpit, if it's written in a song, or it's whispered in your ear. The truth of God will cause the deception of Satan to be diminished through the Word of God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. When you know the Word of God, the deception of Satan is diminished from your life. I would say destroy, but none of us know all of God's Word. And even the Word we do know, we sometimes don't live by. Right? Deception has no place when God's Word is rooted in our lives. I hid your word in the heart that I might not sin against it. When I know God and I know His words, I safeguard my steps from temptation. I safeguard my steps from the deception of the enemy. This is why it's so important to be in growth phases. September 1, we started back. It's so important to let your mind be washed with the water of the word. You listen, the number one reason I see people backslide in Christian faith, here it is, number one, they never read the Bible. That's number one above all odds. Number two, They get wrong wrong relationships. That's it. And I've seen person after person get born again and never get in the Word of God and they're gone within months. Why? Because they're never strengthened. They're never able to diminish deception through the preached Word of God. They overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the Word of their testimony. So the third weapon. Intimidation. Now the devil and all his demons They're pretty caging. And they'll follow you around. They do. And they'll know exactly where you're weak. And they'll know exactly the inclinations of your heart. They know the proclivities that you fall into. How do they do that? Craig's simply by observing you. And then they'll put temptations in your path and intimidate you to follow those temptations. But but you know what the problem with Satan is? Here's the problem with Satan. He's like a band of middle school boys. (laughs) Some of us would say junior high boys. They run around all the time. They're real loud. They eat a lot of food. No, that part don't match. They destroy property. They intimidate people. And they always hang in groups. But like the middle school boys... If you were to take the alpha male of that middle school group and you were to walk out on recess or between classes, call you all know what I'm talking about, and you arch your back and you square your shoulders and you stare that alpha male in the face, that middle school boy who has that group leader of all those all those punks, and you stare him in the face and you get him to run, what happens? Every one of those little chickens begins to run. They all, they go, you know what I'm talking about I'm middle school? You, 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 you're, your mom was this, your mom was that. you just, you just talking trash, right? Going around the circles. Nobody's throwing a punch because everybody's scared to death to throw the first punch. Well, well, you do this. You do, you know. and, so, and so when you look at that one alpha male in the face and you stare him down, he leaves. If he leaves, all the rest of them leave. That's why he said in James 4-7, Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You don't have to fight the devil. It's all found in the submission. As I submit myself to God and I resist the enemy, he flees from my presence. Oh yeah, you have to flee from temptation. But don't you ever flee from the devil. Are you serious, folks? Are we going to be believers that really think we have to flee from the devil? That we have to run from the devil? That's why you read Ephesians 6, there is no armor on the backside of a person. Because the armor of God is never meant for a person that's turned his back away from Satan. You're to stare at him and resist him. You're to look him in the eye and resist him with the authority and the power of Jesus Christ is in your life. No running. No, no, no tucking your tail and running away from him. You have the power. Of God on your side. You have the power and the seal of the Spirit. So you say, Craig, how in the world do I get away from intimidation? You ready? It's in your car. Intimidation is defended through the seal of the Spirit. It's defended through the seal of the Spirit. See, Craig, where's that? It was where Pastor Chapter is last week. Chapter 7. Verse 1, 2, and 3, would have said. Verse 2, I'll start. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east having the seal. Everybody say seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given the power to harm the land and the sea. He said, don't harm the land and the sea the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. All of the children of God have been marked by the seal of the Spirit. Can somebody say amen? There's an invisible mark that's put on the foreheads of those who have been born again. And because of that, the demons tremble at your presence. If this is true, Craig, if all the weapons of Satan have been destroyed, have been defeated, have been diminished, why is he still so effective? That's a great question. And the answer to that question is revealed in chapter 13. Look at it. Chapter 13, he's hiding behind two beasts. Here's what Satan does. You ready? He will embed himself in human agencies so that you don't recognize it's really coming from the devil and not just from the wickedness of man. I'll prove it to you. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. Look how the Bible reads. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea and it had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns and each head had a blasphemous name. What in the world is that all about? I told you in the the offering last week, remember in Revelation, you don't count them. Numbers, you, you weigh them. So number 10, catch this, is the number of completion. It is. So if the beast has 10 horns, you know what that means? It means that the dragon, which is Satan, has given this beast, which we'll define in a minute, complete power. Every bit of power that God has designated this beast has that power. That's why he has ten horns. But the number seven. number seven I told you is a compound, right? It's the number three, which is the power of God, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. And four, which is the four winds of the earth, which represents the weakness of man. So when you see the number seven, you're talking about the power of God being worked among the weakness of man. God created the earth in? Seven days. Seven days. God's power at work in the weakness of humanity, right? So what in the world is this number seven, if it's the number of God, doing on this beast? Well, it doesn't belong, church. This beast is trying to pretend like he's God. That's why each of the seven heads has a what? A blasphemous name, because he's not God. He's not God. This sucker's trying to pawn himself off like he's God. And this beast comes up out of the sea, and many worship this beast as a God. Read the chapter. You say, who is the beast? Well, look at verse 2. That beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear. Mouth like that a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and his great authority. Did you just hear that? The dragon gave the beast great authority. The beast has great authority. Empowered of Satan, the dragon. That's what he says. Right there in your verse. If you were to look at an artist's rendering of this beast, it would look like this. That's weird, right? Somebody's got a lot of Photoshop uh, and, you know, Photoshop and a lot of time on their hands. So we look at that beast. That's the one coming up out of the sea, by the way. And we look at that and we think, well, that's crazy, man. It's kind of like a, that's a cartoon, man, right? And we pretend like it's not real. Oh, it's very real. And what is, what is John doing? He's pulling images from the Old Testament of each animal he mentions comes straight from Daniel, folks. In fact, if, if you're in growth Faces this fall and you're in the class we're doing, I'm doing on the book of Revelation, we'll talk about this in detail. Each of these. One being Greece, one Babylonian representative of these heads. Because Daniel talks about this in three chapters. Every single image from this beast is pulled from Daniel. You say, Craig, well, that's just weird. We don't do that. Yeah, we do do that. I'll show you an image and every one of you is going to know what it is. We do the same thing. when We talk about what's happening. Oh, everybody in this room knows what the DNC and the RNC is. We know because we watched it this week. And then Hillary's going to do her deal this week. We know what these images are. It's no different from our culture. We're ascribing some type of image, beast, to political principle, right? And this is what John's doing. He's trying to get us to see, notice this, that the beast from the sea, it comes straight from Daniel, are representing different nations. I'm not going to go into what those nations are. I put on your card in front of you. The beast from the sea is a symbol of godless government. That's what it is. People say, well, this is the Antichrist, right? A symbol of godless government. Well, which government, Craig? Well, hang on. There's two beasts. There's one from the sea and one from the land. So let's look at the one from the land right quick. Ready? I don't have time to read all that, but you can go read all the way to verse 11. You see everything the first beast does. Now go to verse 11 and you see the second beast. Here he comes. Verse 11, I saw a second beast coming up out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. Now folks, this ought to infuriate us. That just makes me mad. Why? Because he has two horns and he's like a lamb. This dude's not intimidating or imitating God. He's trying to pawn himself off as Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He's attempting to try to be like the lamb that we saw in Revelation 5. He speaks like a dragon, but he looks like a lamb. That's infuriating. So let's look what this beast does, verse 12. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. If you go back and read the fatal, be- the fatal wound that was on the first beast was healed. It was a false resurrection. That's why every time you see a miracle, you can't stay inside of God. He said in Matthew 7, In the last days, many will come to me and say, We did miracles in your name. You'll say, Depart from me, I never knew you. Do you know the Satan can do that? He can replicate miracles? Yes. Yeah. So you can kind of experience this maybe, or maybe groups, right? So notice. Now he takes all of his influence and gets everybody to worship the first beast. Verse 13. And it, yeah, that's the second beast, performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. What in the world's happening, Craig? The second beast, what was the second beast coming out of the sea? It is false religion. It's false religion. You say, Craig, how do you know it's image of false religion? Because look at all the tools he's using. He uses miracles, he uses healings, he uses signs from heaven. So here are the two beasts A godless government that's bolstered by false religion. You say, Craig, well, which government? That's what I want to know. Hey, that's the crap. I've heard there's gonna be a one world government. And uh, right before Jesus comes, it's gonna be a one world government. It's kind of, you know, some say it's the European Union. You see all kinds of stuff, right? Facebook, you just get on there, man. Especially in our the politically turbulent times, you'll see any, and we believe it all, right? Any article that's shared on Facebook has to be the gospel, you know what I'm saying? I mean, just oh, God, you know, I believe it's the is it a League of Nations? You know, what's happening? And others have talked, says, oh, well, this isn't a past or coming government. This is a past government. There's a view in Interpretation of Revelation called the Historicist Approach that they say this is the government of Domitian. Domitian and all the emperors got together, and this is that beast that's coming up out of the water. Well, listen, we don't know. There could be, coming at the end of time, a government. And I'll make a promise to you. I'll tell you definitively in about a hundred years. Okay? But I can't do that right now. But here's what I can tell you. John's interest is not in telling you what will be and not telling you what was. He's telling you what is. Everybody say what is. This is not what will happen. This is not what has happened. This is what always happens. You've got a godless government supported by false religion. And anytime you get a godless government supported by false religion, it wreaks havoc on the earth because there's a dragon behind it that's motivating through earthly agencies that we don't recognize the real power behind. He is the power to to, to fulfill his agenda on the earth. You say, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, what government? This is the question. Well, look around. They're everywhere. Let me give you a few. China. China fits chapter 13 perfectly. What do you mean? Yeah. It's a godless government that is the worst persecuting government on Christians on the planet. More Christians persecuted there than anywhere else. And it's supported by what? Buddhism. That's a false religion. Which is actually a pretty atheistic religion And it causes the people of China Come on, hello somebody To look to their government for the kind of support You should only find from God False religion Empowering up godless government Well I don't want to just pick on China Let's go to India India is in a mess, why? It's a government With terrible human rights violations Most of you know this And it's supported by Hinduism Did you know Hinduism is a false religion? Hinduism actually discourages compassion. You say, why, Greg? Because if you're a Hindu and you're suffering, it means you have bad karma. That means in your past life you did something wrong, so the karma's touching you. So if you're a good-hearted, altruistic person, you go try to help alleviate suffering of somebody with bad karma, the bad karma gets on you. And then it goes for all your future lives too. So you can imagine, a godless government supported by a false religion causes all human rights to be violated. And we all see that. Human rights completely violated in India. Why? Because this tribulation happens. A false government, a godless government supported by a false religion. That's why the devastation is in India. You can go into Haiti. You know the official religion of Haiti? Voodoo. is the official religion. So here's a godless government. Supported by a voodoo religion that casts spells, casts dark magic, and is so devastating to its people. No wonder the economy of Haiti can never move forward. How could it move forward with this godless government being supported by a false religion? Some of you have seen it. You've been to Haiti. You've seen how horrible it is and how the economic, the poorest, thorough country there is, right? A godless government supported by a false religion. Folks, you could go on and on and on and on and on and on. You could go to Germany, supported by what? A false religion called the Nazis. It cost six million Jews to be destroyed. That's another tribulation. You could go to the former Soviet Union, a godless government supported by a false religion. What were that called? They were called communists. In fact, folks, come on, let's wake up and smell the coffee. Right here in our own country, the further we get away from God's values, the further we get away from who God is and what God has called us to be, the more you will see the agenda of Satan hiding behind governmental agencies, whether it's the U.S. government, whether it's Wall Street, whether it's Hollywood, Satan, Folks, don't be deceived. Is using the structures of society to carry out his agenda. That, my friends, is the combination of the two beasts of Revelation 13. It's when a godless government is supported by a false religion. That's the combo. That's the beast. So what do we do about it? Well, there are two weapons that this beast wields. So let's look at the weapons. First weapon the beast wields is physical persecution. I'm just reading this straight out of text, so I'm not making up a message here. I want you to see this. Verse 15, look at the second beast. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. We see that in chapter 13, verse 15. And folks, the fact is, the fact of the matter is there's more physical persecution of Christians around the world today than there's ever been on the face of the planet, especially the days of John when he wrote this book. Did you know in the earth right now, 322 Christians are killed each month for their faith in Jesus Christ? Did you know every single month, 214 churches are destroyed each month by persecution around the globe? Did you know there's 788 hate crimes done against our brothers and sisters around this globe each and every month? That's That far surpasses the persecution they even found in the first century. Why? Because when the godless government is supported by a false religion, the, wield, uh, the wielded weapon of choice is physical persecution. They begin to kill people, folks. And this principle is repeating itself over and over and over and over again. And if you're trying to figure out right now on a calendar when these beasts are coming, you're going to be confused. Because Revelation is about the most confusing calendar there is. But it is a clear template. If you take the principles, you lay them over the seasons of suffering, this is precisely what's happening behind the scenes right now. Not only in our nation, but globally. This is insider trading. That's so why I label this message Insider Trinity. So the second weapon of the beast. Oh, wait, don't you see the unholy trinity here? God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Holy Trinity. Dragon, which is the devil, Antichrist, false prophet. The unholy trinity is really chapter 13. Going to the second weapon, economic power. You say, Greg, where do we read that? Just keep reading verse 16. It, that's the second beast. Also, that's the false religion. Forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands, or on their foreheads, So that they could not, notice this, buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of a beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Thank you, John, for stating obvious. <laughs> yeah, I think it does call for wisdom, right? You're going to need some major wisdom. And look what he said. He said, let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast. For instance, the number of man, and that number is 666, and shivers down your spine. 666. Folks, we've been fascinated with 666 for the last 50 years on our nation, we? Oh, that's great. What if I get the 666 and didn't even know about it? <laughs> I've heard the six 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 is a barcode, and if you go to if you go get on your driver's license and they put six six six, you better turn it back in. I mean, you are just totally doomed, right? I, I've heard I've heard it's like a subdermal scanner, Pastor Craig, that goes up under your skin. That, it, that, it, that well, I heard it was a tattoo that you accidentally get. Folks, come on, let's don't get deceived. If you get the six six six, it's not going to be by accident. <laughs> It ain't going to be by just some wheelchairs. You're not going to accidentally get the 666 on. You say, Craig, why? Because there's two marks. Somebody say, two marks. I'm almost finished. Two marks in Revelation. The first mark is on the forehead of believers. It's from chapter 7, verse 2. Where God, by His Spirit, seals the believer on the forehead. The angel comes and makes you Tom. The angel comes and makes you Ron. The angel comes and makes you Tim. He comes to me. And, and, and the angel comes and, and makes your, marks me with the seal of the Holy Spirit. And let me just tell you. and Can I preach this for a minute? You have no idea how valuable that is. You have no idea how many times demons have come to us preaching. Oh, one inch from your Face. Why? Because the angel of God with an outstretched arm said, don't you dare touch this one. This is sealed by the blood of the Lamb. This is sealed by the purpose of it. You have no idea. If God pulled back the spiritual realm right now, you'd have no idea. We would be freaked out of all that's taken place. And God says, I'm going to put a seal on their foreheads. You say, Craig, does this stuff really happen? Yeah. This is what it means to be a child of God. You have this advantage because you have this invisible seal. And I know you can't see it, but demons can see it. They saw it in the sons of Sceva if you read the book of Acts. I had a friend who I interned with and he lived in Louisiana the same summer. And that same summer told a story, true story. He was living and he was leaving his, grand- uh, his girlfriend's house late one night. He was driving down the road. It was like one o'clock in the morning. He was uh, going down a large steep hill. He was about to cross a busy intersection. He had a green light. He said as he got close to that intersection, he heard an audible voice in his car that said, immediately stop. He threw up on his brakes and when he did, he did just in time for uh, this tractor trailer that came barreling through and totally ran the red light going across the road. Oh, he would have been killed. would have been just totally hit and t And he was so scared. You can imagine your adrenaline's going. And he drives on home and he's turning on his worship and he's praying and he's thanking God for his protection. He gets to his house and his house has a front, uh, in the front yard has a big light that shines down on the garage and on the garage door. And as he pulls in, he turns into the driveway. He said, as soon as I turned into the driveway, the light that was behind me, I saw two big wings come up off the top of my car right Right there in front of me, on the door in front of me, and this angel took me. you. Say this stuff happens. Yeah, this stuff happens. Hebrews 1 16. Angels are sent out to minister to those who are the children of God, as servants of God. Do you have no idea how many times you've been protected? You have no idea how many times cancer, AIDS, uh, sickness, disease has tried to attack your immune system. And the angel of God and the skill of the Spirit says, No, this is a child of God. Amen. This is the advantage we have as believers this is an invisible cell, you say, Craig, well, if this is an invisible cell, I, I believe the same of the second mark. I don't think second mark 666 can't prove it, but I don't think it's visible to human eyes. I think it's visible to the demonic realm. In fact, furthermore, if it was visible, if it was a subdermal scanner, you could avoid that. If it was a tattoo, you could avoid that. Well, this thing in Scripture, you can't avoid. That's why he says, look at it. He says, you cannot What? buy or sell unless they have the mark. I think this is an economic power of a godless government supported by a pagan religion to carry out the agenda of the devil. And if you look around, folks, it's more and more difficult to do life in the public arena without leaning into Satan's agenda. You're a businessman. You're a businessman. And in order to make your business and keep up with the competition, there's some practices that you're being encouraged to do tempted to do that aren't quite ethical. But you don't want to be left behind. God's anointed you as a businessman so you compromise. You're raising your kids and you want them to be the best they could possibly be physically on their sports club's team. It really matters, folks, if they're going to be taken away from church. It really matters if you run to and fro to try to do all these things if you don't keep your family in the house of God. If there's ever a day and age, it shouldn't be an option. Your kids ought to wake up and say, it's not an option. Mom and Dad take us to church every week. I know it. It's in bed and why? If it's for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. It doesn't matter. And so what happens is in an effort to make our kids the best on sport clubs teams, we compromise and we never get those years back. How many parents have cried in my office saying, I wish I had done something different but my kids were gone? Listen, Mom and Dad, please don't make it an option when your little toddler wakes up or your little teenager wakes up of whether or not they're going to church or not. We're going to church. You're under my roof. We're going to church. We're in the house of God. It is so vitally important. We don't compromise that. It's hard preaching, it, isn't it? We don't compromise that. You send them off to college, and the prestige of the college is more important than the character of its graduates. So we compromise. We compromise. Folks, we're all there, right? We all live in the middle of society that has the stench of Satan all over it. And let me tell you, trying to avoid Satan's influence through human agencies that you deal with, like education, healthcare, government, business, is like trying to walk to a barnyard without stepping in poop. Mm-hmm. It's hard. And listen to me, we have to be vigilant. And the more and more our culture moves away from God values, the more vigilant we have to become. Can I hear just a, just a half amen. amen? We have to become vigilant. Now listen to me, and I'm finished. Being vigilant does not mean that we play defense. It does not mean that we become defensive. It doesn't mean you go defensive. I want to read one more verse of Scripture, and then I'll close this. Chapter 11, verse 11. There's two witnesses. I don't have time to explain them all. Two witnesses stand up and hear the gospel. In this time of tribulation, the Bible says that they're they're killed. They're martyred for their faith. And they lay in Jerusalem and Zion, is what the scripture says. Mount Zion for three and a half days. The Bible says the nations of the earth look upon them. Of course, we know that this is through satellite television. Nations of the earth are looking upon these two witnesses. But I want you to read one verse with me, verse 11. And let strength rise in your heart. He says verse 11, but after the three and a half days, well, all the nations are goking. I guess gawking would be a better word, but they're looking and making fun of these individuals that are laying in the street. He said, the breath of life from God entered them, and they, the two witnesses, stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. Did you see that? We should not be terrified by the devil. We as believers should not be terrified by demons. We should not be terrified by, by demons and his and, and all the demons that follow around the devil. Why? Because we are the ones with the power of God. God should look at us as being Christians who are on fire for Jesus. With the power of God. We are the ones with the seal of the Spirit. We are the ones with the Word of God. And if you pay attention to the insider trading, there's no way Christians today should play defense. It's time for us to play all Culture. It's not time for us to, to curse the darkness, but to light a light in the darkness. Not to get defensive in us us for no more and keep the world out. No, who's scared here? The demons, not the Christians. You ought to be the devil's worst nightmare when your feet hit the floor every morning. I'm telling you, heaven ought i mean, hell ought to tremble. Not because of how great you are, but because of the power of God that's in you. The Word. And that's one, a Christian, is unstoppable. Full of the Holy Spirit. Knowing who God has called us to be. Now listen, I'm not a genius. By any means. Especially when it comes to investing. But here's one thing I know about investing. You're supposed to buy low and sell high. Say like make money. Buy low, sell high. It's called. It's inside a trade, right? Let me ask you a question. Why in the world would you buy into Satan's agenda right now on the earth when his stock is at an all-time high? It's as high as it'll ever be. And that stock of Satan and his demons is about to literally plummet like he plummeted from heaven all the way down to the very bottom of the barrel. I'm here to tell you, and I'm here to speak some encouragement to people. Now is the time ever in the history of the world for you to invest your time, invest your money, invest your talent, invest your resources, invest your talents into the things of God and the kingdom of God. Why? Because it's at an all-time low. I'm not talking about just being a Christian. Right now, it's, it's the least popular to be a true disciple of Jesus than the history of the world. So now's the time to buy in, folks. Now's the time to get in when the stock is so low. Why? Because this stock, I've got good news for you. It's not staying down. This stock's about to rise. And it's going to rise so high that don't go to the top of Wall Street. It's going to rise so high it will ascend the very place that Jesus is seated. So now's the time to buy in. Why? Because his stock is rising. That's called insider trading. And it don't look like it right now, being faithful to God, but there's a time, and it's coming very soon, where this stock is about to reverse. And all of Satan's stock is plummeting, and all of God's kingdom is increasing. All of it. If, for the Christian, listen to me, the present life is as close to hell as you'll ever be. For the unbeliever, the present life is the closest to heaven you'll ever be. And for believers, this is the worst life can ever get. <laughs> that gives me hope. This is as bad as it is. Folks, it's all up here. It's all up know. God can do it. He, he, he has promised our inheritance. This is what God has said. So where do you need to start being and playing offense? That's my question. That's my takeaway. Where do you need to start playing offense? A lot of us in this room, maybe you're, you're nervous at work to share Jesus. Can I just tell you, stop being defensive and play offense. What do you have to lose? Think about that. Some of us are nervous. We're or, or tentative on our sports teams. We don't want to be known as the bold disciple. Stop playing defense. Play offense. We don't, I, I, I don't want to lose business opportunities. In the end, who really cares? Stop playing defense. Play offense. Where do you need to play offense? My encouragement today is let's buy in. Let's make the devil shudder. Take well, Krakow House this evening. Well, I don't have time to go there, but if we go to the next few chapters. Think how powerful John is. This is so powerful how the Holy Spirit dictates. Jesus does to John. In chapter 17 and 18, the harlot that we see appears in 17 is actually cannibalized, eaten by the beast. God doesn't have to do anything with the harlot; just eaten by the beast. Guess what happens? in Revelation 19. The beast is annihilated in battle. Guess what happens in Revelation 20? The dragon, which is Satan, who gives the power behind the God of the power behind the false religion, he's cast into hell in Revelation 20. And guess what happens in Revelation 21 and 22? Every Christian on the planet is returned to Eden. We get a taste of what the world was like before sin ever piloted, and this is how your Bible ends. So you better hang on to hope, folks. I don't know what season of suffering you're going through. I don't know what beast is trying to fight. I don't know where you find yourself, but I'm telling you, you hang on to hope. Why? Because I've read the last page and we are victorious. We identify with his victory. His victory becomes our victory. His triumphal procession of the cross is our triumphal procession. It's signed by him. Where do you need to play offense? Can you bow your heads with me. Just stand with me all across this room right now.